0: Hi, I'm Lydia Pickens. And I'm Mark Sayers. And we're here to tell you about a new podcast called The Living Temple, produced by Red Church. It's a conversation between us. It's for people who are hungry for a deeper walk with God. For people who want to follow Christ in real life. And you can find it now on iTunes or Stitcher. What is Stitcher? I don't know. I had to say it because everyone else does. They really do. We'll find out. See you soon. to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. It's really good to be here. Um, It's kind of exciting for us at Outer East. Um, We're going through this series with you and it's been a cool journey uh, so far and we're just at the beginning like you guys, although we are one week ahead, so I feel like that's, that's kind of a cool moment for Outer East, but um, we, we're forging the way. Um, if you want to see where the news is breaking, come on out to Outer East. <laughs> that's where it's all going on. Um, so Sarah Deutscher is there today, and she is presenting kind of the next week, and we started a little bit last week and the week before. So um, it's been cool to hear in our ministry team gatherings the stories, um, the moments of encounter, the hunger, the curiosity that's growing as we step into this season of more of the spirit. Um, I've also, in a different journey, been re-watching the Shrek movies lately with my kids. Um, and oh, just for a visual for anyone who, you know, hasn't been there, uh, there's this moment in Shrek 2. And can I just say, by the way, for the record, how great is it when you find a show that you can watch with your kids without wanting to stab yourself in the eye with a fork? <laughs> Like, um, has anyone been through Polly? Has that happened to any of you? Oh, man. It's coming for some of you. Um, Hopefully you'll skip it. It's it's Netflix. And it's pretty bad. Um, My kids have loved it. There's sort of rescue vehicles and all that kind of stuff, which is very alluring for a certain age of person. And uh, my brother-in-law hates it equally as much as I do, and he actually timed that in a fifteen-minute episode, eight minutes of that is the really annoying like theme song intro. Um, so that thing is stuck like here in your head, um, and no matter what you're doing, you can you can get it right there for the rest of the day. Shrek is a big improvement. Um, I really enjoy that. The only problem is that when you're you put a movie on for your kids, normally it's so that you can like madly clean the house or cook dinner, or in my case, throw out all of the artwork that they've brought that you've put on a shelf and you hope they've forgotten, um, and now you're just shoving it into the bin while they're not looking. Uh, just don't tell them I said that. Um, but its it has been really good to re-watch them again, even though I should be cleaning. And the moment that I love in Shrek 2 is this one where um, Donkey, cute little fuzzy donkey, uh, because of a magic potion and a whole bunch of stuff going on, gets transformed into a noble steed. Um, and so he's this white stallion, and he's so excited. This is the night after his transformation, and he, he wakes up, and he's, like, prancing around, and he goes, Shrek, I can whinny. Um, and I won't whinny. I did ask Peach, "Should I whinny for them? Or do you think they get them? You know what a whinny is, horse noises. Yeah, um, He's so, ex- so excited about it. Um, and I love a good transformation, and I think we all do. If the reality TV shows are anything to go by, um, whether it's hairdos and makeup, or it's like dodgy little fixer upper house, and I've got an example, into like amazing dream home. Or my own personal favourite, and don't hate me, but like super nanny type situations where you've got the super chaotic house, there's toys everywhere, there's screens everywhere, there's kids running and throwing food. Just an average normal day in the Evans house. No, Um, (laughs) it's overrun. And then by the end, it's like, it's a Montessori kindergarten in there. Like, there's just wooden toys. And lots of light, and those kids are just settled and calm, and it's it's just beautiful to see, and it's good for the soul. Um, So I'm excited to be on a transformation journey uh, with you all. You won't turn into white stallions by the end of this, just so as you know, I'm not the fairy godmother. Um, But I'm excited that we're getting to delve into this series of wanting more, and it is a transformation series, it is a process. Um, it is a journey that we're going on together and that we've been on, you know, for a while. I feel like God's been stirring this up um, for a while in our people, in our community, um, in our hearts. Um, John Mark Comer, our friend from Bridgetown Church, talks about the life of a Christian as essentially three components. Um, the first is being with Jesus, second, becoming like Jesus, third, doing the kinds of things that Jesus did. Okay, real simple definition there of the life of following Christ, becoming an apprentice to Christ. So let's take a sample of a typical afternoon in the life of Jesus. Um, I'll read from Luke 4. Uh, and It says, says this, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over, rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, he tried, they tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Great stories, normal stuff, you know, and there's plenty more of them. This is just a typical day in the life of Jesus of Naz- Nazareth. This is what he did. Um, and I love, I love those stories. I'm excited to see those stories. It makes me love Jesus more when I see what he did and his heart for people. Um, and I, I, I could read that stuff all day. The problem is I think sometimes we, we look at these stories kind of the way a donkey looks at a stallion. You know, we, we kind of look at Jesus and go, different species, right? Like, maybe he didn't have, you know, the, the super shield, he didn't wear his underpants on the outside, but he's a superhero, okay? He's totally different from us. Um, and maybe he's kind of that sort of uber-human who just naturally sidles up to people and says, um, yeah... Notice you've got a problem with a little bit of a demon possession there. Is that something? Can I, can I maybe help you out with that that kind of business? And it just you know it just sort of happens. He's he's not your average garden variety kind of person. Um, that kid and Winnie, you know, he's got something. Um, and we maybe can start to think that that sort of stuff is just not on the menu for your average garden variety donkey. I mean Christian for today. <laughs> Uh, The aforementioned John Mark Comer in a message on practising the way of Jesus gives um, this list of the primary activities that we see Jesus doing in the Gospels. Preaching the Gospel, teaching the way of discipleship, healing the sick, casting out demons, eating and drinking with people who are far from God, doing justice, peacemaking, praying, prophesying, standing up against religious and political corruption pretty amazing. That's a a good list, right? That's a good day's work. But do we just kind of think donkey, unicorn, stallion, something else that's not us? There is for many of us, I think, a wide gulf between the practices of Jesus and the practices of our own lives there's a wide gulf between the experience and the fruit of Jesus' life and ministry and our own lives. We sometimes don't know what to do with stories which to our Western ears sound like so foreign and so far away from our lived experience. So I come here today to ask, do we want more? Like, does this this look good to you? And it's easy to see the stories into zone in and picture Jesus and what he was doing. But what about if we picture the lives of the people whom he encountered? What if we picture the lepers when they got home? Okay? People who weren't allowed to be with their families, who had to sit on the outskirts of town, who were their lives were robbed of so much and they encounter this Jesus and they get to go home, they get to hug their kids. They get to be with their wives. They get to participate in community and society again from a place of worthiness as cleaned and renewed. I look at that list and I think, what would it look like if within this room, within our church more broadly, within our global church, if we had all of this and we walked out all of this into the world around us? The Co-workers' lives touched and changed. the people who are living under oppression, whether that's a physical burden, whether that's financial or social or mental health or whatever it might be, um, if there was a way in which, through our walk with the Holy Spirit, we were able just to speak truth and love and life and freedom into all of those spaces. Like do we want that? Do we want more? I hope your answer is yes. We may not know how to get there, but I hope in your heart now you're going, yes, yes, I want that. I realize that I hunger for more of God in this place and this time and flooding out into our world. So today, as we kind of look at this journey of transformation, um, I want to really just slow down a moment in the life of a person in the Bible who I think was riddled with this sense of wanting more. Um, It's it's Jacob, Um, for those of you who haven't been in my Christian Studies class. This is is the Bible Project. This is a little bit of a kind of pictorial story of who Jacob was, son of um, Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, who was kind of the first member of this family of God that would become a nation of God that would then be blessed and bless the whole world. And Jacob, we get this picture in the Bible, is someone who um, hustled. And it says uh, that he wrestled even in in the womb. Even when his mother was carrying him, he was a twin, there was two of them. And there's a little prayer written down, and I'm going to paraphrase, but it goes something like this. Ouch! What is going on, God? Um, As these two twins are kind of rocking out for this poor mum. And he says... There's a destiny over these twins, and they will wrestle, and they're not going to nestle. Um, and there's something going on here with these guys. Esau and Jacob had this relationship even from birth. It says that Esau was born first. You know, firstborn son—that's a big deal in Jewish culture. And um, but he came out with Jacob grasping his heel. And if any of you have got two boys living in your house like I do, you know this situation. Like, you might win, but I'm not going to let you do it easily. You know, he's coming after him. Um, You can tell that there was almost a race to see who could come out first. Um, And this is something that characterizes Jacob's life. I think that's why the Bible gives us that detail. He seemed to have this sense that he was made for more than what he'd been born into. Um, We hear the story of how he actually tricks Esau into selling his birthright this um, firstborn identity as the inheritor of all the father's wealth and his name and his social position. And Jacob, as a secondborn son, gets none of it, but he's like, yeah, I'm going to find a way. And so he wrestles uh, with that concept and he ends up tricking his brother Esau into selling his birthright. Uh, Later, he even tricks his ageing blind father into giving him the final blessing um, that a father passes on to his firstborn son just at you know at the end of his life, really important deal, and he sneaks one in just at the finish line and steals it from Esau. So Esau, rightly so, is probably not super happy with him at this point. Um, and he didn't necessarily go about this wanting in the most honourable of ways, but we see that he has this sense of being made for a greater bless- blessing, a greater inheritance, and a greater identity than what he was born into. So let's focus in on a part of the story that happens later in Jacob's life. After he's amassed a bit of wealth and there's a story with Laban and I encourage you to read all of that. Um, he's grown up a little bit. He's gone through hardship a little bit. He's worked hard um, for quite a number of years to a point where he's got these um, kind of this life around him. He's a wanderer but he's got uh, his wives, he's got children, he's got sort of livestock and, um, But he's coming to a place of meeting with his older brother Esau. They're kind of coming to reconnect after years where basically Jacob had to run away from him um, because he was going to get killed. And he's petrified that Esau is going to destroy him. He's doing everything he can think of to manage the situation. He's sending his flocks ahead to appease Esau. But eventually he comes to the last river that he must cross before they'll be able to go out And meet Esau. And we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go for its daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. In Jacob, we have a picture of someone who cannot seem to rest or be satisfied with life as it stands. He seems innately tuned into a need for more. As his life progresses, perhaps he realizes that the things that he was hustling for and wanting, um, the things that he could get by his own hands, titles, um, possessions, relationships, even, or at least the earthly ones, that he in himself, that's not enough. His own machinations, his swindling, uh, his manipulating, his side hustling is not getting it done. He's gotten this far mostly on his own merit, with his own smarts and ingenuity, but he's run out of luck. And now all of his realities are coming home to roost. He says, it says earlier in the Bible, he's in great fear and distress. He's throwing everyone and everything out in front of him, hoping that they'll somehow provide a buffer between he and Esau, that somehow they'll make the situation better in this confrontation with a brother whom he has wronged and he knows he's wronged. So if we slow down this moment, can you see him there? Can you see Jacob alone at night? Everything that has come to make up his life he has sent out in front of him, and now he waits in fear and distress. It's this moment of truth. He wrestles with this figure whom he senses has the power to deal with his situation, but in some way is holding back. And I wonder if that is the case for some of us here. We know that God has the power to do stuff. And yet somehow we wonder if maybe there's a way that he's holding out on us. That he's not giving us what we think we need. So as we picture Jacob here, I want us to note that this is the first posture required by those who are expecting more. We must come to this place of reckoning. Where all we have and all that's gone before us is laid bare. And we just, we go in. Vulnerable, limited, human, and we ask for what we need. I remember um, just before Pete and I started, kind of officially launched into church planting. We'd been um, meeting with people in our living room. We'd have small groups, um, house church kind of thing going on for probably nearly a year at this point. Um, But we'd still, on Sundays, been able to come to Red, when it was was Blackburn then, we were meeting uh, at Orchard Grove. And that was the church that we'd been to for seven, eight, whatever years, a church that had um, put us back together again, honestly, once we had come home from a couple of years living in Shanghai. Um, We had rebuilt our faith. We'd gone through a tonne of tough stuff and wrestling, and these people were our people, this church was our spiritual home, this was a place where God had spoken to us, um, and it was time to leave. We were just starting our first services, our first Sunday services at 10 o'clock, and it was a big deal, it was really exciting, but it meant we could no longer keep coming to what felt like our church, and we had to go and make this new thing, this little side project, our church. And for me, that moment was a real um, stripping process. I remember they prayed for us in the service and commissioned us as we we left. And um, I'd like to say that I just stood in confidence. Um, I didn't. Uh, There was the ugly cry. You know, there's like a public cry that you want to have where it's like just tears gently (laughs) coursing down. No, no. That was not the cry I had. There was like involuntary chin wobble, um, there was snot, there was like all the things. I'm on my knees, people are praying for us and I'm going, God, I'm not sure I've got what it's going to take. Like I haven't got much. Toby was super young, Joshy was about two. Uh, we're in that that season of just everyday life is intense and just getting everyone fed and kind of keeping everybody, you know, roughly sort of herded into the Cattle pen that is our home, um, took most of our energy and I remember in that time saying God I know you have called us to this, I know that Um, and I know that you're going to do it but I just want to remind you that you have to do it because I've got nothing, Um, I've got barely enough capacity to see through my day so you've got to kind of work this out. And it was a real moment of letting go of um, the things that had come to define my faith, the people, the structures, the processes, the rituals that had come to define my faith and to turn my faith towards the giver of the gifts, um, not the gifts themselves. And it was, it was tough and it, it was a stripping process and I really relate to Jacob here. Um, but it was also a moment of encounter, a moment where my messy human existence um, met with God's transcendent and powerful and unknowable existence, where the two came together and God meets us. And I think that's holy ground. And I think Jacob was standing here on holy ground as he encountered this man whom he wrestled with. I just want to speak for a minute to that place in us where we have asked God to do something um, and we've felt it withheld. I mean, have any of you experienced that frustration of an unanswered prayer? For some of you, it'll be just a curiosity, a place of like, oh, yeah, that didn't happen the way I thought and it didn't really get answered. I don't know, that's weird. And you kind of popped it in your too hard basket and it's like, yeah, I'll figure it out later. And for some of you, it is a place of deep hurt um, and deep wounding and while I can talk about the times in my life where God has shown up and has just stepped in where like nothing else could have done it, I can also talk about times in my life where stuff happened that I just don't understand. Um, Tomorrow will be the anniversary of um, the day that my stepbrother committed suicide. Um, In fact, it's today, it's today. (laughs) Um, was on Mother's Day uh, a few years back and it was brutal. It was brutal for um, our family, it's brutal for his friends, Uh, it's brutal for the people who did church with him, Um, it's just brutal and I don't know really why it happened. I've got reasons of things like mental health and I've got reasons of um, things like all the stuff that you kind of know is there but deep down I don't know why some people's story intersects with healing and with you know this renewal and this point of coming afresh um, to life and some people's story continues on um, into hurt and brokenness and death. I don't know why that happened and for some of you you've got a similar story, you've got something in you and I'm not going to assume to speak to the answer to that. Um, I will speak to the fact that God's character has been um, what has kind of helped me in those spaces of who he is and what he does and the trust that he will do what he sees needing to be done and that he's got the rest that we don't see. Jacob came to his wrestle going, save me from Esau, terrified, and not just for his own skin. This wasn't just a selfish prayer. Um, he actually had prayed earlier in the Bible, um, in the story, that God would save him um, and the women and the children who were with him because he was worried that he was going to attack his wives and his children. And so he wrestles. And why, why did he wrestle? Why couldn't he just click? And God could have sorted it all out. He's got the power. Why doesn't God just give us what we ask for instantly? Particularly when we're asking for good things. Like, I'm not after a Lamborghini here. I'm just asking for the the gifts and the fruits of the spirit. Like, can we get on board with that God together? Like, that seems, you know, something we can all get behind. But in Jacob, we see that the persistence, the deep desire, the wrestling process actually changes us. In Jacob's wrestle, God weakens him physically. says he walked from that place with a limp um, and brings him to his knees. You know, in in touching that hip socket, it's like God kind of reminds him of his rightful place in this heavenly encounter, which is on his knees. He can't actually stand. And Jacob was perhaps a little more stubborn than some of us, so God actually had to... (laughs) um, just to remind him. This is holy ground. But he brings him to this place where he could no longer hustle for his own worth. He can't force God to bless him because he gets him in a headlock and like, um, God does it. And then he reaches out and changes his whole identity from one which was defined by his relationship with others, Jacob literally means the deceiver, uh, to one whose identity is centred around God. Israel means one who has struggled with God and prevailed. Friends, when we ask... Ask God for more, he first asks us if we're willing to be transformed to receive it. This is the second posture that I think we need to um, have if we want to seek for this more of God. In Jacob, we see that the persistence and the desire and the wrestling process actually changes us. When Jacob wanted God to deal with a conflict situation, God first spoke to his identity. And out of that identity came his purpose. The wrestle is not so that we can change God's mind, but so that he can change us. And Sometimes the changing takes time. When you look through the Bible, there's this universal kind of experience of a leader where they um, have this wilderness experience or this time of forming, shaping. Moses, 40 years herding sheep in a desert. Um, Joseph was thrown into jail wrongfully and spent 12 years in prison. 12 years just pointlessly languishing in prison and not a prison that had TV and Wi-Fi. This was like Egyptian prison back in the day, not good. Until God would use his gift of interpreting dreams to influence an entire nation and save them out of poverty and even bring the nation of Israel out of um, coming into a a season of famine. He would actually use that position of Joseph to save the nation of Israel. Amazing how a slave in Egypt does that. But it was through that time of changing him, doing the inner work in him, having... um, his character be submitted to what God would bring. I can speak to that in my own life. Um, For me, the process of motherhood has just been hammer on the anvil of my character. Like, if you, you know, you could take vows um, and go into a monastery and, like, learn some of that stuff, but if you want, like, the, you know, the more mainstream version, have some kids um, and just have your character smashed by people who essentially behave like small terrorists um, and aren't put (laughs) into prison... Like they just, the sacrifice that you put in, the ways in which they don't understand, um, mummy has gastro too. I cannot do, (laughs) (laughs) like I can't cuddle you all night, you know, all that stuff. But it's too bad. Like you just have to do it. Um, There's so much capacity building. The ones that are laughing are the ones who've had gastro whilst their children have, it's just the worst. (laughs) Um, No more ad-libbing, sorry. Sorry. But that's that process for me, going from teaching in a nice private school where I would have 120 conversations a day and stand up in front of people and be seen and noticed to being at home with little people in the invisible world where character gets shaped and formed um, and where no one will know the amount of times that you have taken a deep breath and you've laid down your plan for what you thought the day was going to look like and you've said, no, I will be present and I will love and I will deal with the situation in front of me. Um, That's character-shaping stuff, so shout-out to all you mums who are in that. Keep at it. Don't believe that this is maternity leave from discipleship. This is discipleship. You are being discipled as you participate in that process of being shaped. And so we must be wanting to see our own transformation journey unfolding throughout our lives, and at no stage sit content just to stay where we are. When I go back to the list of activities um, that Jesus mainly did in his time in the gospel, I realise that this season of expectancy is actually needing to be flipped on its head. Um, we will talk about wanting more of God, but it's not like he's sitting there stingily going, uh, "All right, you can have that bit. If you, want. oh yeah, if you really, you know... Fine, I'll give you a bit of that. He's not doling out little portions here and there because he's stingy. He's looking for containers that are actually big enough to hold what he's bringing. I think that so far is my biggest learning from this season. Um, that unless our hearts are actually enlarged... To a point where we're sold out to that vision of the kingdom. I love that first song we sung about the kingdom. And when I look at this list, I go, if you're not sure what the kingdom is, it's anywhere where this is happening. It's anywhere where Christ is the king. It's anywhere where his um, word and his rule and his vision of what it is to be human, to live a life of flourishing, is the one that we walk out of. That's the kingdom. When our hearts are transformed by that vision and when our hearts are moved with the compassion that God has, then we can't help but to say, I I can't encounter people in their brokenness and their pain with the nothing that I have. God, you're going to have to give me something to give to them. Okay, we might feel like that little boy with his lunchbox of loaves and fishes uh, which a lunchbox, by the way, that his mum probably packed for him. So shout out again to the mums. Um, sometimes the little lunchboxes that we pack can actually be used amazingly by God. Um, but unless we, we want more and we need that spirit so that we can break that bread and have more and more and more to give to the hurting world around us, what's the point of the gift if we don't know where it's going? Like Jacob, we may come to God with our issues and our requests and wonder why he doesn't immediately answer them, but like Jacob, I believe God wants to do a much deeper work in us. He wants to speak to our identity and pour out his character into our hearts, stretching and enlarging us for his purposes. He wants to know that we are willing to be transformed to do the work that he wants to do in and through us. So we've looked at this idea of coming with empty hands in a posture of wanting more. we look at this posture of wanting to be grown and being willing and having hearts of clay that can be grown and shaped so that God can pour into us. We can be big enough containers to be filled. And finally, I believe that the ultimate posture that we need to take is shown in how Jacob leaves that place of wrestling that night by that river. No longer is he hiding behind all his flocks and family and servants. The next image we see of him is that he goes before them, at the front, stepping into his new role of leadership. We need to step out in courage, in risk. Like We actually need to risk something. We need to risk looking like a dope. We need to risk saying something that sounds awkward. We need to risk wanting to change and look different. And all of the you know, the stuff that that brings. But we need to let go of the outcome, let go of the certainty, um, but go in total certainty of the one who sent us. We must go in a posture of courage to do the work that he has given us. And this, I think, takes a radical submission to our identity and part in God's story. It's not him having a part in our story. It's us taking part in his story, regardless of the outcome. Trusting that what we bring, he will use. So today, we're going to gather. We're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to worship. We're going to have some people available to pray at the front. And I want you to see this prayer time as where we, we work into reality, the stuff going on in our hearts. Um, We are people who need to move the things that are going on in our heads, I've stolen this from Brené Brown, through our heart and out into our hands. So prayer is that. And prayer is also a wrestling space. Um, Prayer is also a place where we contend and we bring what we've got and we bring what we want God to make us and we ask him to do the in-between. I believe that anywhere we make this to do our work with God, to ask him to meet with us and change us, becomes holy ground. Whether it's just some carpet on a you know, building in Ngunnawading, whether it's in our own bedrooms on our knees as we pray whether it's that terrified prayer walking into a workspace where you you want to be real and you want to honour God, whether it's um, the space between you and your child as you ante up again um, to love and to be present, to honour them, whether that's that space between you and a spouse or a partner where so much has gone down that it feels like all the fragments just sit between you. There's a holy ground when we wrestle with God in that space. So we're going to have a time of, of prayer now and you can certainly come up the front and be prayed for and we, that would be great. But you know, you can sit where you are, if your triad's here, if your small group leader's here, if the person you've come with today um, move past the moment of awkwardness and just ask to be prayed for, pray with each other, pray standing where you are. But I want you to consider praying in a new posture because of what we've talked about today um, to take that one next step into what he wants to do in you. And it doesn't matter how it compares to anybody else's step, just take your one next step and say, God, what do you want to do in me and through me? And pray for us before we go into that space. Father of love and compassion. Father who gave Jesus the Spirit at his baptism. Father who gives us the Holy Spirit so that we continue the work of Jesus. Lord, I just pray now that you would make this space holy ground, that you would help us to strip off anything that encumbers us from running after you, the race that you've called us to. Lord, we just pray now that you would give us the courage to stand and go before the stuff of our lives and the stuff that's wounded us and maybe the disappointments that have hindered us before, to front up and to stand before all of that and to ask you to do the work of blessing us and helping us step into our inheritance and our birthright as children of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.